Welcome to Corporate Thought, the podcast where we talk about everything from food to family to music to the life of entrepreneurship and anything and everything else that makes life worth living. Welcome to the show. Hi, welcome to Corporate Thought. I'm your host, Mark Marling. Today on the show, I have as a special guest, Jessica Katz. Jessica is the owner of Liberated Elephant and is a scrum and agile coach. Uh, you'll learn what I mean by agile and scrum uh, during the episode. Uh, one note, this episode had some real technical difficulties in terms of the quality of the audio, and I considered re-recording it with Jessica, but I thought the conversation was really great. So I apologize for some of the glitches that you will hear, but in true corporate thought style, we presented to you glitches and all, and I hope you will listen over those and ignore them, understanding that it's just part of the time that we live in when people are overloading uh, Zoom, I guess. So sit back and enjoy Jessica Katz. Hey, Jessica, welcome to uh, Corporate Thought. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you on the show. So, um, you know, I I normally like to do these uh, these podcasts in person. It's I think I may have told you that I enjoy the getting to know new people, breaking bread with them, doing all of that. And thanks to COVID, it's not so easy these days. So no. I'm stuck <laughs> stuck to doing these things uh, uh, virtually. Yep, that's uh, true for everything these days. My entire work went to virtual, so I understand completely. Yeah, I w- w- want to talk about that a little bit and, and understand how, you know, um, how that obstacle among this new obstacle that probably most people didn't see, didn't, didn't foresee and didn't plan for, right? That's and right. Uh, maybe it's it gone on longer than we even, than we ever, I mean, not that we ever hoped, but, you know, it's gone on longer than we, than uh, some people at least early on anticipated. How about that? Yes, it's definitely longer than people anticipated. And um, and I think it's going to go on longer than COVID, actually, this virtual world. Well, I think I think that's probably right. I think that, um, first of all, I don't know if COVID, um, if getting over COVID will mean the end of this problem or we'll see more cases of different kinds of, of viruses and um, different problems of that nature. At the same time, I think that there's dramatic impact from such a long um, and all-encompassing change to how we live our lives. Definitely. There definitely is. Um, you know, we, my work is at home. My son's school is at home. My husband can't work right now because he's a massage therapist. Um, so uh, everything has shifted. And, and what I'm hearing from business communities and we're seeing out of things like Google and, and, Twitter and those folks is they're going to continue with work from home indefinitely in some cases. So I think this is a, a new um, way of interacting. That's probably going to stay with us for a long time. Yeah. Commercial real. I would not want to be in the commercial real estate business right now. No, I would not either. <laughs> I mean, if I had to pick businesses to, to get into that might be at the, at the, at the bottom end of the, uh, of, of, the spectrum 
Yep. Um, I think I think the recovery time for that will will make um, massage therapy look like something that was just a blip in comparison. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, uh, Nashville, in particular, um, I'm based out of Nashville, and we are um, we were growing by 100 people a day um, before COVID in Nashville, and our commercial real estate was booming. Yeah. And um, we're actually seeing a flip. The commercial real estate is now starting to decline, while our uh, residential uh, real estate is starting to boom because people realize that they need different space for working from home. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's going to change. That's going to change people's uh, how people live. It's going to change how city, cities develop. Yeah. Uh, you're right. I, uh, I mean, I, you live in Nashville. I don't, but I've in the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time in Nashville and um, with a with a particular client and um, seeing the development of that city. Uh, has been, you know, off the charts in, in, in growth. Um, probably, at least within the United States, I've never seen growth like that. You know, it, it skyline looked a little bit like uh, Dubai and other places where you're used to lots and lots of cranes and lots and lots of construction going on. Yeah. Um, it, when we were at our peak crane usage, I understand there was some hurricane or something that caused a lot of damage. I forget which period that was in. Um, and they had a hard time getting a hold of cranes to do repair work Be- because of all the construction cranes being utilized for other other things. Yes. Um, yeah. The, and the amount of new, every time I, every time I came to Nashville practically, it was like, Oh, I can start to stay in this new hotel. Oh, I can stay in this <laughs> new hotel. Cause there were new hotels all the time. All the time. Yep. <laughs> that's what it seemed like. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that, the, that that's going to slow. And like I said, I think people are, rethinking the large city environment and i think cities will have a hard time um a harder time of recovery because i think the idea of being a bit gun shy to that right now yeah yeah um i I know that most of the people i've spoken to are really sort of biding their time to see what appears before they make a take a risk or take a chance on something at the moment Gotcha. No, absolutely. So, um, how have you um, uh, uh, had COVID affect you? I mean, you you were not working from home before, so this is so real. So, setting up shop and home is a new thing, I guess. Yeah, well, I um, when I was home, I was working from home because uh, I'm a you know my business is just me, and I subcontract in folks when I need more hands. Um, but so when I was home, I would work from home. But most of the time I was on the road, I was, uh, last year I took two trips to Japan, a trip to Malaysia, I went to Ireland. There, there's been, you know, I, I'm a globetrotter a bit um, mm-hmm. in this work. And um, between, you know, enterprise coaching or um, training, those are typically things you do in person. So, um, so this has moved, you know, my whole business, all my training went to online formats and I had to scurry around and find the right tools to make um, make it still engaging because the way that I train means there's lots of activities and things that you do with the other students in the class um, as opposed to just on your own. So, um, you know, we fast turned around and found a tool and reshaped how the exercises run so people could do them virtually since they aren't in person interacting with each other. Um, and, uh, and my coaching went, my enterprise coaching business took a nosedive temporarily while folks were figuring out what their enterprises looked like in a COVID world. And um, uh, I went to individual coaching. So I'm doing a lot of professional development coaching and uh, leadership coaching and those sorts of things instead. 
Um, and luckily, those are typically one-on-one, -on -one, and so we can use Zoom to make those happen. Right. And how does, um, so do you think, we'll imagine a world where life went back to, to I don't like using the word normal because um, I don't really know what normal means, but how about, you know, uh, imagine a world where life went back to the way it was before. Yeah. Do you think that you would revert in, in all aspects to the way you ran your business before, or have you learned things through this period that you will, that you would like to, you know, maybe you've learned a better way to do certain things? Sure. Um, actually, the individual coaching and the training have the potential to remain in an online virtual experience. Um, even enterprise coaching can happen that way. Um, but that one is definitely richer when I can be present with folks. But if an organization is entirely, you know, if the organizations decide to stay distributed, then I should be distributed with them because that's how I would be able to observe and see what is going on. Um, but the individual coaching could stay um, in an online environment or not. And I would leave that up to the client and the training could remain in, in an online environment or in person. And I would leave that up to the client. I now have options for folks um, and it can reduce costs because it means they're not paying for my travel um, and some things like that. Right. No, I, I, I think there are, I think there's several different models of how folks have dealt with this. One of them is to curl up in a ball and say, okay, I'm going to pretend this is a giant nightmare and so it's <laughs> going to go away. Unfortunately, I don't think that's a reality. Um, I do think that if you can embrace the change and, and be creative and come up with new solutions, I've seen that. I've, I've seen that in a variety of industries and how people would deal with it either by like you have finding mm -hmm. a tool that you hadn't, deployed before but you found is working and I, that's why i asked that question because i think that it's um you know perhaps uh indicative of the strength of your business or the longevity of your business to see how can you roll with changes and actually find sometimes that they will be that those changes could be permanent or quasi-permanent yeah yeah um you know i come from a an agile background um agile software development background and um, as an as an agilist and somebody who teaches agile practices everything is about being able to be resilient and respond to the market changes um, and if you can't respond to the market changes you you do things like blockbuster did and you go the way of the dodo right so <laughs> um, there's uh, there's a real importance to be able to sense what's happening and notice opportunities um, and and be able to seize on them without seizing yourself, right? Sure. Well, uh, just this week, we um, so we utilize um, uh, books in some of our social media posts to pull out quotes from various books or to use those as, as catalysts to our conversations each week um, between both this podcast and um, the one that we do on Fridays, the 31 Minutes podcast. And uh, so this week happens to be uh, who moved my cheese? And oh. of course, by the time you, you know your episode comes out, it, we won't be talking about who moved my cheese. But at the same time, I think it's uh, it's uh, very interesting because those are the kinds of things that are so key are to uh, be willing. Well, what do they say to to uh, to 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 get rid of the old cheese so that you can let the new cheese into your life? Right. Right. So. Yeah. Um, you have to make space for things. 
um, um, in all things, not just business in your personal lives. And, you know, if you want to make, if you want a different kind of person to show up in your life or a different kind of work to show up in your life, you make space for that work to happen or that person to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. So I am, so I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show um, because one of the things I talk about a lot is what does a 21st century leader look like? And I think you and I may have had a chat about that briefly when we, when we were talking, but I thought, okay, having someone who's in coaching come on the show and talk a little bit about that, I think is, um, is key uh, to, because I think I'm sure you have, you have thoughts and ideas around it, but I thought we could, we could start a little bit uh, and go backwards and get your story and understand how you wound up uh, where you are today. Sure. Um, well, let's see a little bit backwards. Um or back in time, I started with a background in project management. Um, I thought I was going to be a, an IT coder, and I got into my degree and went and fell in love with project management, which seems like a strange thing to fall in love with. But if you're, you know, super organized, it's not so strange, and, okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, uh, I, um, I also have a love of data, so my second choice probably would have been data, and maybe today I would be a data scientist. Um, the from project management, what I found was I had a ton of responsibility and absolutely no control over the outcome. Um, I was constantly running after people asking, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Um, and really dependent on them to deliver, to receive recognition for what I accomplished. And I didn't actually accomplish anything. Um, I wasn't the one delivering, not to say that project management isn't its own accomplishment, but, <laughs> but when, at the end of the day, it's the product that comes out that um, is what we're after, not the, you know, Gantt charts or plans yeah, 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 <laughs> right? of course. Or, or risk mitigation strategies and things like that. Um, so I found it pretty soul sucking to have that level of stress and responsibility without any control over the outcome. Mm -hmm. And I had um, a delightful um, hotshot engineer who, if he listens to this, should be able to identify himself in it. And he said, have you heard about this cool thing called Scrum? And Scrum is a, an agile, a process through which we deliver agilely. And, um, uh, and I, my first reaction was, no, there's no way that will work. That's crazy. And um, my instinct when I have that kind of reaction is to go do research. And so I went and did some research and I went, okay, maybe, maybe this could work. And we tried it a little and we were inside a broader organization that wasn't really ready for that kind of shift, but I got hungry for it. It felt like coming home. It was a whole lot less like telling people what to do or chasing after them for their work and a whole lot more like being a support system so they could make their work happen. Um, and, and that has become a, sort of a keystone for how I see leadership over time. Um, and I did Scrum Mastering for a while. And as a Scrum Master, you're responsible for the health and wellness of the teams. And um, when you have good, healthy teams, they get from ineffective teaming to productive delivery very quickly and become very mature and good communications and things like that. So um, I found Scrum Mastering on its own wasn't quite, um, uh, wasn't keeping me engaged enough. There wasn't enough, uh, there weren't enough tough problems at the team level for me to combat, right. Or to help folks work through. Um, and I found agile coaching and agile coaching. There's a coaching industry that's about coaching from the coactive coaching model or the coach training Institute. Um, and it's really about, um, 
holding, holding the space for someone to realize that, to realize their successes alone, right? But you're with them. Uh, they, all the solutioning comes out of them, not out of you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and agile coaching is a little mixed, a little bit of a mixed metaphor. Co- it has coaching in it, but it also has mentorship in it and teaching in it. So there's a sort of mentorship and teaching and holding the, and modeling the behaviors and beliefs in agile. Um, and so those are some of the things that led me to where I am. I, I found, you know, coaching out of its, on its own relieved me of the responsibility to get results out of somebody else who was actually responsible for delivering and um, becoming an agilist helped me provide some structures and models that can help folks. Okay. Um, and so you've taken, so you've, you, you took this forward into now your own business yeah. Um, what made you make that jump? Um, have you ever, um, you're, you're married, right? Sure. Yep. Have you ever had your spouse ask you, Hey, do I look good in this? Um, okay. Yes. Yeah. And you say yes, right? Yes. You look great. Right. And then they don't believe you. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you're with sure. me on that analogy. Yeah, so no, I'm with you. Being inside an organization is a little bit like talking to that person and they're asking you, hey, does this look all right? And you're saying yes or no, and they don't believe you because you're part of the system. Okay. Right? So being a third, being, being an outsider gives you more credibility? Um, some of it's credibility. Um, some of it is they actually pay me to criticize, right? They're actually paying me to identify the chinks in the armor and the the good stuff that's got they've got going for them and present it in a way that helps them make sense of it and can help them create a plan forward to the way they want to be. Um, instead of uh, me being on the inside, trying to fight an uphill battle of change. Does that require them to give you the goal first? Or, Sometimes. Do, you help, or do you help them find the goal? <laughs> Sometimes I help them find the goal. Um, the goal I get most frequently at the enterprise level is, Hey, we want to be agile. We've heard that's the thing and we want to be agile. Uh, <laughs> oh, I hate that though. I'm going to tell you why. I hate, I hate when people, and you can, you can beat up on me all day long on this. It's totally okay. fine. <laughs> but when someone throws a buzzword as that, and they don't even know what the buzzword means, but they, I think this is what's wrong with corporate speak, right? Yeah. Uh, that to some extent um, there's buzzwords and people, oh, I need to be like that. Well, they don't even know what that is. They just know they have to be like it because yeah. it's the buzzword. Yeah. And, um, and it happens a lot in agile envir- in environments that want to be agile. Um, and really what they want is to do agile. Being agile takes actually shifting a whole transformation of thought around how you enter into business. So, um, so they come to you and like, we want to, we want to do agile. And I'm like, okay. So, it actually starts with an assessment. I look at their organization and I say, here's where you are. And one of the, one of the agile practices, um, one of their values is to start where you are. Don't try and change anything. Understand where you are today because you can't, you, you know, if you get lost in the woods, you can't find your way home unless you know where you are. And that's essentially what we're after. Okay. Right. Um, So start where you are first and then paint a picture of where you want to be and then paint the path between those two things. Um, that's okay. generally the preferred order. Um, sometimes I get called in and they've already tried to 
implement it and it's not working in places or it is working or they want to check on it. Um, and, and then it's a different, a different question. Then it's things like, uh, all right, what is your goal? Can you tell me that? And sometimes they can't. <laughs> well, do you, do you ask them, why do you want to be uh, agile? Um, well, I would ask them what motivates, what's motivated your decision. Um, what, what have you heard about agile? What do you already know? So some of the assessment is learning those things. Um, uh, what's motivating it? What do you already know about agile? Um, what's going well that you think is already agile in your environment? What isn't going well that you think is playing against agility in your environment? Um, so those are all questions I would ask sort of a little bit of digging into the, you know, okay. Yeah. Um, and that, and that helps, help, helps you at least think about, uh, uh, helps them think about what they're asking for. Yeah. Um, it does. Um, it helps them think about what they're asking for and it helps them. Um, and it helps me in service to them. It's not my journey at the end of the day, what they decide is their future path is their journey. And I'm there to help them figure out their way on it. Um, not tell them how to do it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just, I'm still stuck on the, on the, on, on their why yeah. I understand why I understand why a business wants to improve. I understand when a business can, can, can find, can find fault. Um, look, I, I, I think we all, we all can improve. We can all look at, at, at we're, we're always in need of, of a tune-up or a change or maybe big major, major shifts. I mean, it's all, it's all quite possible. And certainly we don't want to become blockbusters. Right. And, 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 and believe uh, that things are, are, are fine the way they are and nothing's going to change and we're not going to get wiped out by technology. Um, which we all, I mean, everything's always, always evolving somehow. Yeah. yeah. Right. I guess I, I'm, I'm stuck on, if I understand that, then why, why I'm, I'm, I'm the company here. Why I, I glom on, okay, I want to be, you know, do I know what this thing means? Is this what I want as opposed to, you know, using some other terminology or some other method, or is it, is, is it, I guess that's my concern. Is it method for method's sake? Sometimes, sometimes it is. Okay. Um, and, uh, and that's okay. Um, we have a, in agile coaching circles, there's a sort of a, an idea that every step towards agility is still a step towards agility. And even if they only take one tiny step, they moved a little closer to agility. So um, that's good enough if that's as far as they wanted to go. Um, uh, every progress is some progress, right? Um, what I have found is folks will be like, well, we want to do agile and we've heard about it. Some leader somewhere has heard about it in, uh, you know, their last CEO conference or mm -hmm. right, a local meetup with a bunch of local leaders who are like, Oh no, agile's the way it makes things so much easier. Right. They read an article on it on the Harvard business review or Forbes or Gallup or Gardner. Um, those kinds of things are really what generally initiate the conversation in folks. And then, um, or maybe there's somebody in their environment that they deeply trust that also might have said, oh, you should go agile. Um, one organization I've talked to recently, they actually hired, um, they got a new venture capitalist and the venture capitalist said, you will go agile, right? Um, so there's all number of things that initiate it, that catalyze it. But nobody understands a thing until they've done a thing, really. Mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, when you first learn to drive a car, you put your hands at 10 and 2 and you put your seatbelt on and you turn your blinker on all the time, right? And then yeah. as you as you get driving for a little bit, maybe the next time you don't turn your blinker on and you don't get hit and you start to realize, oh, the blinker's really for communication to other people. There weren't any cars around. Or maybe you do get hit and you learn that same lesson, right? And you start to really <laughs> understand why the rule is there. We turn our blinkers on to communicate to other drivers. That's really important. So if there are no other drivers around, I can make the choice not to turn on my blinker. Um, and then after a while, you're, you've been driving for a few years and you leave, what well, we used to, leave work one day and you go to drive home and you don't remember the drive at all. You just left work and now you're home. Oh, yeah. And that's all that is. And that's sort of the essence of being agile. When we talk about agile, you start by following the rules and doing it. And then you learn why all the rules are there. And then you become it. Gotcha. I was about to ask you what, what does Nirvana look like? So yeah. <laughs> I think you, I, I guess Nirvana, Nirvana looks like you got home and didn't, and didn't remember doing the drive. That's right. That's right. Um, and the, the biggest challenge for organizations that do change management is they have this goal. This is where we want to go to. And every individual has to go through that change curve as well as the whole company. And you can only go as far as the majority of the people have moved inside your organization. So does that mean you need to rethink who's, who's, who's there, who's on the bus? Um, well, uh, you know, so there's this great company out of the Northwest called Gravity Payments. It's run by CEO Dan Price. I think I'm getting his name correct. And um, he made a decision to give everybody the same salary. They made a base salary of $70,000 for everybody in their company. Okay. And um, he got a lot of press for it. And I, I went back and read up on it. The, the base is higher now. Um, <laughs> I went back and read up on it. And one of the impacts they had was attrition, that people were uncomfortable with this change. They felt like they had done harder work or put in more hours or deserved more money for some reason or another. And they get attrition. And just like um, when you're selling something and you have the early adopters and the laggards and those like that big hump in the middle where most of the people take it on, that happens too with change inside organizations. And you'll have people that are super excited about it and they're bought in right from the beginning and they stay with you and they actually help you create the new idea. Um, and then you have people that come to it a little later as they start to see successes and they usually get bought in. And then you have people that are never going to come to it and you'll get attrition and that's okay. Um, you know, we don't actually marry our co the companies we go to work for, right? We're not committed for a lifetime. Um, we're committed until we're not. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I actually had that specific conversation recently with someone um, uh, around the idea of the, um, the 401k because it was a time that you went, you joined a company, you stayed, you got the gold watch and then the company took care of you. Or 1k because to some extent you had, uh, you know, that was what pensions were about was you yeah. basically spent your life with a company Four one ks made us all a little bit independent contractors. There yeah. were the, the question of loyalty changed a little bit, but uh, on both sides of the, of, of the spectrum, right? Yeah. So uh, kind of, yeah. kind of interesting. Um, so my big question is, is, is a, is a 21st century leader an agile leader? 
Is there such um, a thing as an agile leader? Am I using the term mm-hmm. correctly? Um, there is sort of. Um, <laughs> the, um, a leader in the 21st century is highly empathetic, is a social networker, right? Really helps folks that are in different parts of the business um, get connected when they need to, resolves system-wide blockers that are affecting people's um, productivity. So um, an example in an IT organization, uh, they're trying to deliver code to production and there's another team that's blocking code to production without them, without the second team reviewing it first. Um, and uh, a, a manager in an agile environment would be looking to move those checks and balances forward so that the team has more autonomy over it. That doesn't necessarily mean that every leader should be moving towards autonomous teams for the 21st century. But if you have a team, if you have an organization that is an agile organization, those are the kinds of things that a leader in an agile organization would be doing. They would be looking for, how do I shift the system so we can actually be agile? Which means that if you have a 21st century leader, they're looking at ways to shift the system so that it works for their goals instead of against them. Gotcha. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess you've read this book, but someone just on this podcast, um, uh, which will appear in a couple of weeks, uh, uh, talked about a book called Team of Teams. Yes, I have read that book. <laughs> you're, you're talking like, uh, from, what, from what it was explained to me, it sounds like it's right up that alley, right? Yeah. yeah. So of being um, sort of mission-oriented, but not, not telling you how to go out and do the job. Just there's, there's the target. You find your way. You, organize, you self-organize as you see fit to, to reach the objective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's another really great company out of the Netherlands somewhere. I'm going to get their exact location wrong if I try and guess. So out of the Netherlands somewhere, there's, a, um, there's an organization called Bert Zork, and it's a nursing organization. And they've set up locally-based small nursing organizations that have full autonomy over how they deliver care. And their corporate office is responsible for connecting caregivers in different places when there's a dearth of knowledge in one area. Um, So, for example, if you have your first patient with gout and they've never had a gout patient in that one nursing center before, nobody has expertise on it, the corporate office will be responsible for finding an advisor for them from another organization. They're responsible for providing training and essentially getting these local nursing centers um, reduced cost because they have the number of sites they have. So they negotiate vendor contracts and things like that. Uh, But the nursing centers, hiring and firing decisions, administration, how they give care, all entirely within their power. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, so they can, so they have, they can use their skills and and have them deployed remotely or randomly and still have them and still have access as need be to provide a full, full range of services everywhere. Yeah. That's exactly right. And those nurses, um, they made the decision that they are not going to burn and churn like we do often here in the United States. They're caregiving. Instead, when they have a new client in their area, they go to the client's home and they interview with them and they have coffee with them and they meet their support system and they really learn how their patient lives so that they can best support them in a way that's in, um, uh, in support of their life instead of like cookie cutter care. So this is getting to this point that you mentioned about social networking and about how, so, so not just with fellow employees, but how you, how you, how you, 
how you work with your customer, with your client, how you integrate with them as well. Yes, absolutely. There's, um, you know, we are moving away. I would say culturally business is moving away. Business generally is moving away from a transactional interaction with customers and employees to a more relational one. Um, and it's not, I don't think that's new, but I think it's certainly got deeper uh, teeth, uh, deeper claws maybe in our, in our social fabric these days. I, I like that. I mean, I, I, I like that before COVID. I like that post COVID. Um, I have questioned for some time, this idea of, of the, um, the leader who looks at, at their organization and their clients and their vendors and everyone else from a, from a standpoint of, um, of we're all human and perhaps a little bit less about the transaction, a little bit less about, um, certainly less than the wanting and dunning, as I would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is make the deal and who cares if there's never another deal with that person. I, I've worked in those organizations and, um, I think that's probably why I have such a, such a reaction against that type of behavior. Um, because that's, that's to me quite, you know, it's, it's devastating. I like the fact that what I do for a living or, or how I work for a living, I don't separate my work life from my, from my personal life. I'm living my fullest expression of my life. Yeah. Um, whether that be touching on business or not touching on business at any given moment. And I, and I believe that the only way to do that is to treat every aspect of my life the same, if you will, from it's, it's all important to me. That's why I don't meet people at cocktail parties and ask them, what do they do for a living? Right. Right. I'd rather ask you, you know, how are you dealing with this COVID situation or what are you reading or you know, are you going on vacation somewhere? I mean, again, everything's different now. We don't have cocktail parties anymore, but (laughs) but you get my point. (laughs) Yeah. What are you most passionate about? That's one of my favorites. My husband, my husband taught me that question early in our meeting. And uh, what are you most passionate about is an amazing uh, opening question for folks. And, um, you know, it's so much more meaningful than what do you do? If the conversation goes that way, I like to go, okay, well, that's what you do. Do you like it? Sure. Yeah, no, that's good, right? Yeah, because a lot of people don't, and a lot of people that's not really a good, a great question. Because I don't, for some people, work does define them, but yeah. for a lot of people, they're not necessarily defined by their work. Right. And then that really becomes a question of 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 how do they see it? Like I said, I don't see it as work; I see it as life. Uh, but I, I know I, I I do believe I'm in the minority that way uh, still. And I think um, you know, if I ever get to the point where I'm living for the weekend. Um, please come and shoot me. <laughs> could okay? I, could I coach you instead? Sure. You could. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's super fair. That, that's fair enough. You can do that. But I value you, all life. I really don't want to kill anyone. <laughs> I, I love that, but you get my point, right? I just, um, yeah, yes. I, 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 that is to me. So that is, so in all those aspects I see, and I call it the 21st century leader. Um, it doesn't mean that it, it, it changed with the clock, right? I just mean like sort of a leader of today as opposed to someone who leads like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think, um, you know, and I think we're seeing in our media a call for that leader to be more conscientious of the impacts they're having on their employees and on the community at large. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of a public outcry against ridiculous bonuses, right? Millions of dollars in bonuses. Um, 
to the betterment of the leader while the company, the employees in the company are suffering. Um, you know, the, the reality is if you're running a company or leading a company, you have a small community that's, that you're responsible for and um, making the choices to be responsible for it kindly and with care, I think are super um, essential to leading well. So how does that, so, so to the extent that you know the story, cause you started to talk about the, uh, the company that pays on the same, the same base salary. Yeah. Do they then differentiate based on what they do, uh, their impact to the team in any given year? Or, or is it, or is it truly that everyone just earns the same amount of money across the whole company? So I've seen um, conflicting reports on that. So I don't want to say for sure that I know this. Sure. <laughs> I've seen conflicting reports on that. Um, the first article I ever saw and it said everybody gets paid exactly the same. I know that when he first implemented it, he, as the owner of the company, also took the same salary. So okay. he took a pay cut too. Um, in fact, he sold off property to be able to afford to do that to, for his company. The result in the employee base is um, their customer, their employee engagement went up tremendously and their customer satisfaction went up tremendously as a result. It was an immediate result in that. And with customer satisfaction up, they started to see higher profits, more word of mouth, right? They got, they got more business. The other thing that happened inside that organization was a baby boom. Oh, yeah. okay. So they all were happy. They went home at night and they, and they, they were, and, and they were, they were in, they were in a better mood. So they, they were friskier with their spouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, um, they all had enough money to survive without wow. fear, right? They had enough to survive and function and be able to afford the addition of another mouth in their house. And the, you know, the strain that an additional person costs. Um, there was also a boom in, in home purchases and, um, uh, and things like that. And the company, if I remember correctly, um, a time passed and the, um, organization, all the employees pitched in and bought the CEO, a $70,000 car. Oh, okay. So they, <laughs> so they really went with the, with the rising tide lifts all boats kind of, uh, idea. Yeah, they really did. Um, and, you know, he was, um, again, just my reading, my understanding is that uh, Dan Price was really motivated to do that because he was friends with somebody that wasn't making a living wage and was listening to the struggles that that person was going through. And he thought, I can change this for a lot of people. Yeah. So um, so now to pick at you for a moment. Now you have okay. your own, you, you don't have, you don't have employees. You said you, you hire contractors. I do. Are there ways, and maybe this applies to anyone who's a solopreneur or, you know, entrepreneur, solopreneur, especially how they can, and A, do you, do you apply what you teach to your own business? And then B, how do you apply that in, a, in an instance where you don't necessarily have employees? Well, um, with my subcontractors, I always ask for what their rates are. I ask for a range. What do you, what are your rates as a subcontractor? So far, every subcontractor undervalues themselves and I make them take more. Um, so, so they all love you. <laughs> right? Um, okay. um, so there's some of those things, but, um, uh, you know, uh, if any of them ever came to me and asked me questions about, you know, how do I do this? What do I do? I would absolutely lean in on that. Um, there's an opportunity, you know, I have coaching skills and often I'm subcontracting other coaches. So there's a lot of 
you know, um, uh, I'm going to go with coach trading <laughs> as opposed to horse trading that okay. happens in this industry. You know, we do a lot of, Hey, I'm having this problem. What have you experienced here? Or, hey, I'm having this problem. Can you coach me through it for a minute? Um, those sorts of things would come to play. My goal is to get to a place where I have hired. Um, my first employee goal is either a salesperson or a front office person who handles sort of the scheduling and all the other administrative minutia. Um, but I won't, I won't hire anyone in permanently until I can pay them a living wage, um, like a, a comfortable living wage for at least. Um, I do, and if it's more than that, if, they're, if, if their field is more than that, then I will wait until I can afford to pay them for that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that, 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 that's, that's fair enough. Uh, certainly in the meantime, your, your subcontractors uh, like, like you for, for raising their, their rates. Um, but do you find, uh, and I'll ask this in a, in a very general question, which you can answer however specifically or generally you like, but do coaches generally practice what they preach or, um, or is there a lot of like, um, do as I say, not as I do. Um, so one of our, I would say running tendencies is that we really work to model our behavior under what we suggest. The challenge with coaching is that you're not actually suggesting a behavior. <laughs> um, mentoring is where you suggest behavior. So for, as an agilist, I absolutely try and model the behavior. Um, I am deeply seated in the idea of humanism and self-care and care of others. Um, and so I do model those behaviors. And my husband will tell you, though I teach communication skills and leadership skills, if I've had a long day of it, when I come home, I'm not very good at it anymore. <laughs> so um, it's a little bit like, you know, um, chefs don't cook at home, kind of. Uh, okay, fair right? enough. Yeah. Um, and sometimes he'll look at me and go, was it a long day? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was a long day and I don't, I'm out of, I'm out of energy to give to communication today. So sometimes that happens. Well, that's fair. I mean, again, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if humanism is important to you, then you recognize that we're all human and yeah. we're all, and we're all fallible. Yes. Right. Um, deeply fallible. <laughs> <laughs> So, but that's, I mean, that comes, that's, that is, um, I think that's part of it, but I think that's an important part. I um, very often am, am concerned. I'm concerned with the way that we, that we communicate to some, some degree in this country and, and maybe in the whole world, you know, these little fancy smartphone devices, which really allow us to communicate so much easier uh, everywhere also are traps. Um, because we change how we communicate as a result of them, right? First of all, mm -hmm. we have this expectation of immediate response. Um, gosh, I wish we still had the Pony Express because <laughs> even then I'd have a little more time, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. But that, so imagine the speed upon which decisions are made, the speed upon which information is, is, is passing between us, the expectations that we have for that. Yeah. Um, so we ran a series of dinners last year and um, one of the things we did was we confiscated cell phones. So there was no business cards. There was no business chit chat. We had, we had topics in advance and we confiscated their phones. And I recall some of those dinners. I recall one person in particular uh, just comes to mind every time I think about it and 
grabbed the phone out of my hand and said, let me just check one more time. <laughs> right? And yeah. then I had multiple people talking about this, this phantom feeling in their pockets where they kept like touching their pants legs, like yeah. looking for like for the crutch. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a crutch. Yeah, it is. It really is. I am. Um, and I am certainly succumbed to it. I'm as a solo entrepreneur, there is definitely a, I need to catch this. I need to catch this. I need to catch this. There is some anxiety around missing something that is important um, or that is the next deal or that is the thing that will make it possible for me to be in a position to hire somebody. Right. Um, and uh, it does become a crutch. Um, I've, I've, I have the setting where if you turn it face down, it goes to do not disturb. Oh, smart. I use it liberally. <laughs> so that, um, you know, when I'm in calls like this, everything goes down. And um, when I'm in uh, um, having dinner with my husband or talking to my son, I put the phone down. Um, those are really important. I think another thing, when we talk about 21st century leaders or leaders of today, another thing that is true of them is they're, they're very good at boundaries. And um, when I reach out to leaders in the, in the world and say, hey, what's your biggest leadership challenge? The answer I always get back is time. And I don't think time's the problem. I think boundary setting is the problem. Um, you know, we- Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably, a, that's, a, that's a good point for sure. Um, well, it's a bit like um, this question. We may have talked about this when we chatted before, but um, this uh, issue of resources versus resourcefulness. Um, and people say there's not enough time. Well, there's probably enough time. Did you have to go? Did you go and use, how did you use your time wisely or not? Right. Um, you know, now granted, I think boundaries are important and time with family and things like that, that, you know, extraordinarily important, you know, wasting time in the middle of the day, you know, uh, looking at Facebook, maybe that's yeah. what could have, maybe, maybe that's what could have gone to the wayside. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. So we all, we all have to make those decisions for ourselves, but then um, we have to all decide how many hours do I need to sleep and how many hours do I need this and how many hours do I need of that. But I am sure that every one of us down to the most, even the, the most efficient can probably say, oh yeah, I, I did waste time on that or I didn't need to yeah. do this thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely still waste time. Um, there was a study uh, I read recently that says the average person self-reports as only actually doing productive work during their workday just under three hours yeah so then that question is what do you do the rest of of of, of the day right? right um something there was uh, it was like uh conversations with my coworkers, prepping a snack or having coffee um <laughs> facebook twitter social networks on my phone um uh sending an email to my partner um those sorts of things all came out of it uh the there's another study I was looking at this week um, where we actually only can be productive six hours in a day. And when you look at it at that scale, we also have to think about productivity at home. Like I've got to do the dishes and make dinner and make sure my children get to bed. Those are all productive tasks. So, um, you know, how much time do we actually have in us to be productive and how much time do we actually need for recharge? Sure. And how do we define that? And then are there, and there's so many different methods and tools. And I, I, I don't believe there's any one for, for everyone. I think mm -hmm. everyone finds their own way. Yep. I've, you know, I've become obsessed with my 
calendaring lately because I have so many disparate calendars and I was finding myself double and triple booked and, and struggling to get it all in the day. Mm -hmm. So switch to a different tool to try to do that. But I also know people, you know, I know people who, who follow the Pomodoro method or the, this <laughs> method, or and, so, and I have no idea. I mean, I guess it all, any method is probably good if you come up with one that works for you. Yes. Yes. And interestingly, if we go back to agility for a minute, um, in agile, we say the same thing, like, you know, agile is a way of thinking and you have all these different ways of doing inside that way of thinking. So scrum, Kanban, lean, XP, bunch of different processes, but those are just ways to achieve the idea of agile. And if you have the Pomodoro technique, it's a way to achieve the idea of time management. Um, yeah. Whether yeah. it's uh, really, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, right. then fine too. But I do think um, to your point earlier about if you take even one step towards agile, that's one step. I think that's the case for anything you take a step towards. Yes. Right. Uh, that is one of the, w one of our biggest problems, I think to both um, entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs, especially who can't, who are either get overwhelmed by, I don't, I can't get it all done. So I don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Do one thing. Just do one little thing. I loved this book um, that I, I recently read. Uh, nothing that you probably don't know, but um, Atomic Habits by uh, James Clear. Okay. And he basically took, uh, do you know the um, the uh, Charles Duhigg book um, about habits? Have you ever heard uh, that one? Yes. Okay. I think so. It's the yellow cover one. The right? yellow cover yes. one, right. <laughs> yeah. so, so this guy, James Clear, he basically says, look, I'm not bringing you new ideas. Right. I read the Charles Duhigg book, but I'm going to, but I basically am telling you how I applied what I learned and how I maybe morphed a few things, but I'm starting with what Charles Duhigg wrote and I'm just, you know, and I'm, and that, and that's how I thought about, about making habits, um, not good habits or bad habits, just changing habits and so on and so forth. And he broke everything down to the smallest atomic sized step. Yeah. Right. And if you make these small little changes rather than try to say, okay, I'm going to do this big, massive change for, for 21 days or what have you just make this tiny little step forward. That is barely, you know, just the slightest change to how you did something and then build from there. And slowly it will start to, it will start to become like that snowball effect yep. until you, yep. until you adapt, adopt new habits. Yeah. Organizational change management is the same way. Here's where we are. Here's where you're going. What's the first next step you need to take? And that's, and that's what you're doing at every level. In Agile, it's the same way. Okay, here's where we are. Here's where we're going. What's the smallest thing I can do to, to provide value to our customers? Um, uh, so I think, I think we see a, a pattern of that in practices that work for folks, is that narrowing your focus down to the tiny thing. And then I think real importantly, celebrating it when it works like we did that first thing yay <laughs> like, mm -hmm. even if all you do is is jump up and down and say yay for a second that's a way to celebrate whatever it takes to celebrate it um now i have a friend who's made uh running a part of her life and she she posts her times and mileage every day on facebook because it's her celebration of it yep. and um and you know i think that's pretty beautiful to find a way to celebrate even the smallest thing Absolutely. I think running is horrific, but I'm glad for her that she's enjoying it and she's yeah. celebrating it. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, why run when you could ride a bicycle? But that's, that's fair. But that's, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's the difference between cyclists and runners, I guess. So. That's right. <laughs> um, so if you want to learn 
more about about this about agile or or even just like this organizational management type stuff do you have like do you recommend are there go-to books or things that you tell people start here or pay attention to this or you know kinds of things or or go get a coach uh i mean how do you you know (laughs) well of course i say don't get go get a coach right like (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna miss that opportunity but um um so if somebody wanted to just know a bit about it my favorite go-to book um, is scrum essentials by ken rubin um, and it's scrum focused and not agile focused at large, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, sometimes you just start by understanding how to do, and, uh, he does a really beautiful job in that book of tying the actions back to their purposes and really talking about the, the way, the trade-off decisions that you make along the way when you choose one action over another. Um, so that would be one of my go-to books for just what the heck is this thing? <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, but, is, is there, is there uh, and maybe it's not even related to that. Is there, I'm just curious, is there a book that you, that you buy for people? Is there like, a, do you have like a favorite? It could be like, like one of my favorite books is I'll just to be very fair junkie. I have two junk novels that are among my favorite books that I read every couple of years, just cause I love them. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Um, that is a hard question. I read a lot. Um, I do. And I think it depends on the person and what they're going for. But um, let's see. I would. Well, rec- how about this? What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? I am reading. Um, I have to pull this up because I read it all online. So do you, do you read on do you? Oh, so let me ask you that, too. Do you read? Um, so you read online. Do you mean you read on a Kindle? You read on screens? What do you? I, I read on audio. Actually, I am a listener. So okay. um, so the book I'm reading right now that is fictional is called Paths of a Lear. It is the third book in a series by Melissa McPhail. Um, and I have um, queued up to read next. Uh, so you've been publicly shamed in the, in the uh, nonfiction. Do you, do, you, um, do you alternate a fiction and a nonfiction book? Yes. My fiction reading is a reward for reading the nonfiction. So you read the nonfiction and then you read the fiction or do you read them simultaneous? I, uh, one after the other. Okay. Cause I, I read, I usually have two books going. That's why I asked. Okay. I usually have a, I usually have a work of fiction and a work of nonfiction or what I might call the work of fiction might not be fiction, might be just like either a historical account or something that's not necessarily, I'm not going to apply necessarily, but it's just an interesting read mm-hmm. as opposed to a, um, and then I'll have the 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 businessy kind of book. Yeah, kind of yeah. Thing. The businessy kind of books are usually like a a six to eight hour. Sometimes they're a ten hour listen, where the fictional books are can be up to twenty hours of listening. So um, they can be quite long, um, especially when you read epic sci fi fantasy novels. So um, uh, the to, I basically commit a lot of time to fiction, and if I don't if I don't force myself to listen to nonfiction in between, I just will never put the time to it. So this is a way I, I hold my own boundaries with myself. Oh, that's fair. That's good. Yeah. I mean, so you have a system and so, and, 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 and it, works. it works for you, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what we're talking about? Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. No, that's awesome. So um, is there any, uh, any other um, advice that you can pass on to sort of my, my audience, mostly like I said, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, um, things that they should be thinking about either as they build an or as they build their company. I, I tend to think that with a lot of, a lot of pieces in this decisions you make early, how you organize 
how you tools and tools you use, everything else. If you if you if you start with a good with with good bones with a good foundation, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier than probably a lot of your clients where they're making big shifts, uh, maybe because they either lost their way or because they weren't using some of some of the tools that maybe they had started with on the beginning would have made things would have made life easier. Yeah, I think uh, my advice for folks starting out is to really understand your why. Why are you in business? What are you trying to get out of it? Right. And um, what if your business were a walking, breathing person? What would their value systems and uh, behaviors be? Um, Essentially state the culture of your company right at the beginning, Um, because it's there will be a there will be an opportunity that that takes you away from those values and you'll want to take it because it looks good. But if you come back to your values, the work that the work that gravitates towards those values will come. Excellent. Wonderfully stated. So uh, how can people um, reach you, find out more about you, get to know you better? Sure. Um, okay, go ahead with the answers to, to how can people reach you, Jessica? Sure. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn under Jessica Katz um, of Liberated Elephant, and you can check out my website at liberatedelephant.com. Uh, from there, there's an events calendar. So if you want to see me speak or hear more about what I have to say, you can find a way to do that there. Okay. So I do need to ask you, Liberated Elephant, why did you name your company that? Um, I explain the role of a coach to folks as helping um, people get out of their way, their own way so they can get things done, essentially making the elephant in the room work for you. Love it. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and talk to my audience. And it's been great having you on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. Absolutely. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jessica Katz. I know I certainly did. And I learned a lot about Agile, which was something I had heard of before, but really didn't know much about. Uh, Be sure to check out the show notes as always for links to all of the things that Jessica and I talked of, as well as some further reading on this topic. Um, As always, thank you for your ongoing support, and please be sure to check out our other podcast, 31 Minutes, new episodes everywhere where you get podcasts are available each Friday. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much.